Hello, welcome to Pop Culture Persephone, the first episode, and hopefully not the last. Um, I have been trying all weekend, honestly, because I am so bad with this software to um, accomplish this. So please bear with me. Um, we are going to start off this week. Um, I'm Teresa P, by the way. I'm sure you know that because this is probably five or six of my friends at this point listening to this. And I am the pop culture Persephone. Why have I called myself something akin to the goddess of the underground? Because I will be mining the underground and everything in between for the best in pop culture. For your listening ears, whether you want it or not. So I'm going to start this week off with our pop culture winner of the week. It is not a person. It is not just a show. It is something bigger than that. It is Netflix's Love is Blind. Holy shit. No one really saw this coming. This baby was filmed a little bit over a year and a half ago. And on top of that, nothing was leaked. They didn't have to worry about such things like The Bachelor worries in which everything gets leaked three days before things go out. But in the same vein of The Bachelor, this fun show puts singles together and tries to create a romantic connection. In this case, um, an engagement and a marriage But the twist is, they do not get to physically meet each other, only talk to each other for the first week. They are relegated to pods in which they can go on multiple dates with multiple people. And with the goal of making a connection with one person, and then from there, getting engaged, sight unseen. After that, they go on a, what I would like to call a sexcation. Um, spend some time in Mexico, get to know the person physically and emotionally. And the next step is they move in together. All of this, mind you, within, I think, two months. While they move in together, they start integrating with the outside world, their friends, their family, and they plan their wedding. It is insane. I did find out that everyone was culturally um, obliged to walk down the aisle if it got, they got to this point. But of course, they didn't have to marry. And spoiler alert, not all of them marry. But wow, Netflix knows what they're doing. And um, I'd be worried. I, I, I would I just hang it up if I was these other competing love shows because Netflix doesn't have to worry about the commercials, the language, the content can be racier. The, it, it seems... We all know it's produced, but, and we know it's edited, but it seems a bit more authentic. I sat there and just watched through my eyes behind a blanket several, in several episodes in fear for people. Oh God, Giannina, beautiful and scary. Poor Jessica. Always making the wrong decisions. You will know who these people are, I'm hoping, if you have watched this. If not, I don't know what you're waiting for. Netflix was very smart. They dropped 
three episodes every Thursday over the course of three weeks. So you still had something to anticipate, but you could still do a mini binge each week. So you did a mini binge. It could be the water cooler talk or when you're texting your friend. And it just drew more and more people into the show. So it was really, really, really a successful um, attempt. So I'm giving them the pop culture winner of the week. They call it the experiment. I say, um, it looks like Nick Lachey and his wife have some more seasons of a job. Um, so that's great. And they're not in it that much at all, which is also wonderful. I know that sounds horrible, but, you know, I, I think it becomes a little bit too much about the host. And we don't need all that. So I was very excited. Moving on. I'm uh, providing a segment called the Pop Culture Eye Opener of the Week. Um, This is someone who my perceptions of continue to evolve, continue to change. I apologize. That's Dexter. He barks at everything. It's just going to be a reality of this show. That in my cold, that won't go away. Um, Pete Davidson had quite the week. Not only did he have a pretty revealing article with Charlemagne, uh, where he talked about everything from PTSD to his relationships to his treatment on Saturday Night Live. But he also dropped Netflix again. They're knocking it out of the park. Um, about a 48-minute, really tight stand-up set um, that I found myself alone laughing out loud to. And I was shocked that I enjoyed it this much. Not that I don't think he's funny, but I think he is kind of utilized as the dumb bro, obviously, on SNL, and that's it. I don't think they know what else to do with him, really. (coughs) I think they see him as a one-trick pony. But um, I enjoyed him. I thought he was pretty funny, pretty witty, um, very self-deprecating. He talked a lot about his relationship with Ariana Grande. I still thought he was respectful, but he brought up the fact that, you know, she has a medium of music, kind of the same way, well, all mus- musicians do, but you've seen a lot of that with her and, you know, Katy Perry and um, especially Taylor Swift. And nobody really <laughs> criticizes about that that much. And um, I don't believe he was hurt by that. Um but he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, subscribe to any type of social media or anything, which is probably the healthiest thing. So accolades to him on that. And for his age, shocking, shocking to not have a social media presence as a millennial. One of the only ones I know out there. Um, but he says, you know, my avenue is stand up as a comedian. And um, so I'm going to talk about it in this manner. And he brings up the embarrassment over the whole big dick energy um, comments. Make some joke around that because she's the one who started that. Um, and brings up some pretty funny, funny responses to things that 
some pretty disparaging things she said in the press about him, which is probably not warranted. Um, she may be having some regrets of jumping into a relationship so fast. But, um, you know, Pete suffers from PTSD. He has a history of cutting. Um, pers- um, he has a personality disorder. He did a interview a few years back with Howard Stern. It was wonderful. And it was about a year after he signed on to SNL. And it was so unflinchingly honest and Stern has that gift of getting this information out of people. I mean, it just made me sad listening to it. I mean, it's no surprise that there's a lot of comedians out there that are sad, but I think he's going to be okay. He has um he has a lot of things on the horizon too. He's he is um starring in the next Judd Apatow project, the I believe it's called the King of Staten Island, which he is the King of Staten Island. Grew up in Staten Island, currently still lives in Staten Island um, with his mom. So I'm pretty excited about it. It'll be interesting to see how he uh, how he handles the lead in a movie. But I'm going to stop um, undercutting him. I'm going to stop doubting him. I, I had some faith after that Netflix special. And that interview and my favorite comedian, John Mulaney, just adores him. So I I, I trust Mr. Mulaney on most things. So that's that. Moving on, um, I want to talk a bit. I wish I could insert the audio. (laughs) But I've tried so many times and I failed um, that I'm not going to. Um, it's not going to make or break this podcast, believe me. But uh, I want to talk a bit about what I'm calling the pop culture stunner of the week. Um, actress Ana de Armas. I know everybody is seeing, she's on the cover of Vanity Fair this week. She is the upcoming Bond girl in um, Daniel Craig's last James Bond movie, No Time to Die, playing the character of Paloma. Um and, you know, she had received a lot of accolades this last year for her featured role, uh, supporting role in Ryan Johnson Knives Out. My favorite, probably my favorite movie of the year. Close to Parasite. I mean, I would say I love them equally for very different reasons. But she was pretty fascinating in it because she does not talk a lot. But it's all in her actions, her eyes, her, it's the physicality of her performance. Not a lot of dialogue. A lot of the dialogue, you know, belongs to all of the other big hitting performers that she has to share, um, share this movie with Chris Evans, Jamie Lee Curtis, Don Johnson, Michael Shannon, Christopher Plummer, Tony Collette, who's fantastic in this movie. Um, it's it's really it's a really interesting movie because it's it feels a little bit like a throwback where there's not a lot of capers out there and this was a unique take on it I really enjoyed it and I really enjoyed her in it you know she hasn't done a lot of movies in America she's 31 years old she's 
best recognized, I would say, for um, Blade Runner 2049, the reboot, that had Ryan Gosling, Jared Leto, and Harrison Ford in it. And I'm going to get this wrong, so the Blade Runner people are going to scream at me, but she she plays the hologram, muse-like confidant of Ryan Gosling. Gorgeous, of course, beautiful. But she's more of a symbol in that movie. She was also in the movie War Dogs, which I did not see. I'll be honest with you. I think it's, uh, I forget who's in it. Jonah Hill. I think it's a Jonah Hill movie. I'm sure it's great, but haven't seen it. Um, and she was in, she was in Knock Knock, which is an Eli Roth vehicle. Um, and that was her first American speaking movie. Um, and it's a rough go. It's a home invasion movie. It's Eli Roth. So he goes after big commentary in this movie. It's just her, his ex-wife, which I forget her name. She's also in the movie, um, Green Inferno. Um, and Keanu Reeves. It starts out promising and it becomes, I feel really impossible to sludge through. I will say that Ana de Armas's character is probably the most interesting character in the movie. And the one you feel the most sympathy towards, if that's possible. It's hard to... It's it's written so poorly. The, the, the dialogue is so poor in this movie that everything is taken away in my mind. Um, we're going to put a pin... And Mr. Eli Roth, he is a subject for another podcast in and of itself that I'll have to uh, work work on with my uh, my good friend Roger, who is all things horror. But um, she still stood out. She still stood out. She is she's in the midst of a lot of projects. She'll be releasing along with the new Bond movie that's coming out now in November. There's a delay due the due to the coronavirus, unfortunately. Um, she will be starring in Deep Water alongside Ben Affleck. It's a thriller that's going to be in November. The title is not promising. It, it's, who knows? I, I should not judge a book before its cover. He's he's having a little bit of a, another renaissance. He has a real uplifting movie that's out right now. I think it's The Way Back or The Back Machine or... Where he's pretty much playing himself for reco- some guy in recovery. I mean, he gets a lot of chances. I, I'm, I'm always blown away by the celebration of white male mediocrity in Hollywood and just how many unlimited chances they get. But I like Ben Affleck. Don't get me wrong, but I don't love him. He's a, he's very much a sad dad to me. I love his ex-wife Jennifer Garner. He shouldn't have let that get away. She's a fucking peach. And talk about a woman who knows her social media game. Oh, my God. She is a peach. Another story, though. I am digressing. Regardless, the biggest news of what Ana de Armas is starring in Project Wise is Blonde, which hopefully is coming out in 2020. They haven't really given a release date. It's in post-edit right now. I have seen some early photographs. She is playing the titular role of Marilyn Monroe in Blonde. Um, I wasn't sure if you... 
I think everybody just realizes the moment you hear blonde, you think Marilyn Monroe. It's based on a um, a best-selling Joyce Carol Oates novel, not a biography and not an autobiography, a novel, a work of fiction by Joyce Carol Oates that came out in 2000. I've read the book two times. It's it's a fantastic piece of fiction. And uh, Joyce Carol Oates talks about how it's a fantastic, it's a piece of fiction. She has some elements, it's a hybrid. She has some elements of biographical facts, but she also has completely fabricated elements in there uh, mixed with some some things in between. This could have happened, this didn't happen. Did she have an affair, a speculative affair perhaps with Charlie Chaplin? Did that happen? Or Charlie Chaplin Jr.? Maybe, maybe not. So there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of things like that in the in the book. The book, when I read it, I could have never imagined them ever trying to put this on screen. It's so dense. It it lives better almost in the mind, I think, than on film. They did make an attempt in 2001. They made a miniseries out of it, actually, for Lifetime. But... It being Lifetime, I don't think you can get as raw as you really need to for this. I mean, the book is pretty raw. And um, it starred Australian actress Poppy Montgomery, who has gone on to do a movie here or there. A lot of Lifetime movies. That's no dig. Um, but in a lot of, like, crime procedurals. Like the CSI world and stuff like that. I'm sure she's not in CSI, but if you saw her, you'd recognize her. It wasn't good. It wasn't. It wasn't good. It wasn't awful. It was something in between. It just didn't quite work. Um, so I'm. I'm interested to see what they're going to do with this. How it's going to be different. They have some pretty big people um, who are going to be working alongside her. Bobby Cannavale is uh, playing the role of the retired athlete, also known as Joe DiMaggio, as her second husband, and it looks like Adrian Brody is stepping into the role of Arthur Miller or her third husband. So that is pretty exciting. Um, Lots, lots and lots is being written about her being Cuban. And it's such a get of getting this role, which everybody always makes such a huge deal out of this. I mean, in 1937 or 38, when... Vivian Lee from England got the role of Southern Belle, Scarlett O'Hare. People lost their ever-loving mind. Southerners protested. And if you think now, if you watch that movie now, you cannot imagine anyone else in that role. The idea that that they wanted to put Betty Davis in that role or Katherine Hepburn or even Lucille Ball is unimaginable. But that British actress... Miss Vivian Lee, she is Scarlett O'Hara. Um, so I always find it funny where when people are just, oh, how, what are they going to do with that Cuban accent? I'm sure she'll be fine. There are linguist coaches for this. She has not been speaking the English language more than 10 years. I do find that remarkable, and I feel like a failure as a person when I hear something like that, since I only speak one language. And I like to say I dabble in Spanish. But it's just that dabbling. I do not, I should not count watching endless 
telenovelas as being fluent in Spanish. But there we go. So, she is definitely one to watch. I am a little bit excited about this. And I'm hoping I will not be disappointed in it. Switching gears a bit. I have a pop culture confession of the week. Oh, God. This is embarrassing. I have had a very hard time sleeping this week. I'm dealing with this illness that's just on and off racking my body. <coughs> Lots of stress at work. Just lots of things occupying my mind. Can't sleep. I know I should not turn on anything electronic. But I have gotten into this dark hole of watching TikTok videos. My God. My God. My brain is getting soft. I think I've spent about four year, four hours, four years, four hours this week watching several people sneeze. If you don't know what that is, just just go on TikTok. Don't worry. Somebody will sneeze for you. Um, as well as many people do the say-so dance, the Ahi challenge, the Shakira challenge, the J-Lo challenge. Countless, countless videos of uh, Navarro cheerleaders doing tricks, which is amazing. Navarro cheerleader, if you don't know who that cheerleaders, they're the stars of... The Netflix miniseries, not miniseries, kind of a documentary miniseries, Cheer. Check it out. It's amazing. Well worth it. Netflix, haven't, just, I can't give more praises to Netflix this week. But um, I got to stop watching. I got to stop watching TikTok. I'm finding some things, but it's it's making me feel bad about my brain. Um, my pop culture book of the week. No, I'm not reading a pop culture book every week, but, oh my God, long live Vanderpump Rules. Long live them. They have provided us with some wonderful things. And one of my favorite things is this book called Fancy as Fuck Cocktails penned by Ariana Maddox and Tom Sandoval. The very lovely couple unmarried, not having children, couple, and bartenders of the hit Vanderpump Rules. It is a gorgeous book. The photographs are amazing. There are little vignettes about either the show, different characters um, in the show, um, or the drinks themselves. The cookbook is organized by first classy cocktails, which are going to require you to go out and get a few things, and trashy, which you might be able to find just lying around. Um, It is inspiring. I mean, I mean, lavender simple syrup yesterday. Who am I? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lisa Vanderpump, queen of my life. Without you, none of this could happen. I highly recommend, even if you don't watch the show, it is a great cocktail book to have. Um, I think Tom Sandoval and Ariana Maddox are good collaborators on this. Not just a good couple, but good collaborators creatively on this. We have a little bit of a pop culture memoriam. Very sadly, 35-year-old 
So You Think You Can Dance alumni, Danny Tidwell. Um, he was on season three, African-American, gorgeous, best smile I've ever seen, tall, wonderful technique, could spin like no one else and leap. He did not win that season, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but the American public knows nothing. Um, but he's iconic. Um, adopted brother of Travis Wall, another huge star from that show. Um, and just a real, it's a real tragedy. He was just suddenly taken from the world um, at such a young age. Also, not to not to make it at the same level, but internet sensation, Marnie the dog. That dog with the leaning head and the tongue that was always falling out just passed away yesterday, March 7th. I am, I'm very sad about it. Although Marnie lived her best life. She was in a shelter, found in a shelter at age 11, had some type of limp, and I believe a diverticulitis, causing her to lean to one side and that tongue to jut out. She was such a sweet little thing. She, she was at the opening of everything. She was like just beloved by all. A celebrity magnet. She has so many pictures out there with every celebrity. Um, And you've seen them. You've seen them. Like the Jake Gyllenhaal holding her with both of their tongues out. I mean, just a beloved little creature. She lived to 18, though. And she is no longer with us. So go in peace, Miss Marnie. Go in peace. Lastly... We are going to talk about what I am referring to as my pop culture hidden gem. And within this, the movie Her Smell with Elizabeth Moss. Now, everybody's talking about Lizzie Moss this week because of the Invisible Man that she stars in. Where she's essentially playing against, it's not even a green green screen mostly, just she's playing up against nothing. Um of the care of this character the antagonist who is i believe an ex-husband or an ex-lover who abused her who is now invisible this story's been done several times and people just love it it made 61 million dollars opening week cost 7 million to make so this is good for everyone involved and um you know Putting such a high-profile actress on this is not a bad idea. Elizabeth Moss, um, ever doing every single thing she's done since Mad Men has been pretty impressive. Her smell um, did not get a lot of love. Um, I don't think it was criticized, but it did not get a lot of promotion. <coughs> it's really the the depiction of her. It's a mid-90s punk. A rock grunge artist in like very similar to I would say whole uh, very inspired by Miss Courtney Love if you ask me personally but that sound of whole L7 Babes in Toyland uh, very raw you're brought into her self-destruction her not a slow self-destruction right at the beginning of the movie and you're seeing a lot of the perspective through 
her bandmates who are two other ladies who are suffering underneath this, the weight of this. A younger group that's coming up who adores Becky something. That is the name of her character. The, um, the name of the band is Something She. Um, rival artists such as um, Zelda, which is play, who is played by um, the ever-controversial Amber Heard. Um, her agent, played by Eric Stoltz who has been with her since the beginning, but but has checked out. Her mother, played by Virginia Madsen, great to see her again. And her estranged lover and father of her child, played by Dan Stevens. Um, They're all suffering under the weight of her. They all need her, though. (laughs) And um, she's also surrounded by some spiritual sycophants um, who are giving her horrible advice while she continues to abuse herself with substance. It is, um, it gets to the point that right when you're about to, <laughs> like, I can't watch this movie anymore because it's just so painful to see what she does. There is a bit of a redemption arc. And that's really when you see the range of this actress. And it's so heartbreaking. You know, she has those big, big eyes, those big Winona Ryder cow eyes that just draw you in and you feel every emotion that she has. And um, if you like rock and roll movies, I think this one's pretty kick-ass. It ends with a concert with um, a few other actors slash models. Agnes Dian, Cara Delevingne, Ashley Benson, Amber Heard, as mentioned before. It's, it's worth watching. It's heartbreaking. It's redemptive. I really enjoyed it. So um, that's the best I can say about that. Check it out, HBO. Um, on demand or HBO Go, or you can probably download it anywhere, pay for it, and stream it. Until next week, y'all, this is Teresa signing off for Pop Culture Persephone. Hopefully soon we'll have some guests. (laughs) Bye-bye.